Premier Christian Newscast. Figures have revealed that the number of couples opting to marry in church or other religious settings have plummeted. In 2020, only 15%, that's about one in seven, of weddings in the UK were religious. As recently as 2005, less than 20 years ago, it was one in three weddings. There have also been similar sharp declines in how many children are getting baptised in church and how many funerals take place in church too. But does any of this really matter? Is this just another symptom of the slow death of nominal Christianity in the British Isles, or an alarming sign of how detached the UK church is from the people it's supposed to be serving and reaching with the gospel? I'm Tim Wyatt, and in today's Premier Christian Newscast, I'm joined by Emma and Megan from the Premier Christianity team to talk through the evidence of a decline in church weddings, christenings and funerals, and to discuss what we should make of this. Well, hello again. Thanks for joining us, Emma and Megan from the Premier Christianity team. Great to have you on the podcast again. Um, so the kind of headline stat that really caught my eye and led us to talking about this today is is um, figures that came out. Uh, they relate to, I think, to 2020 rather than, uh, but they're the kind of most recent figures we have, which showed that only 15% of weddings in, in Britain at the moment, uh, sorry, in 2020, were held in religious settings. Um and for a bit of context, that's an enormous fall. That's that's about one in seven. But as recently as 2016, so only, what's that, six, seven years ago, it was 24%, so one in four. And in 2005, it was 35%, so that's more than one in three. So I guess what, what we're seeing is an enormous drop-off in, in British people choosing to get married in religious settings. That's not just churches, though it will be predominantly churches. Um, and that goes along with figures that I've dug out about funerals and, and baptisms or christenings as well, where there's um, enormous falls in the last kind of 20 years um, in, in terms of people having funerals. For example, in 20 years ago, just under half of all deaths were followed by a Church of England funeral. And if you obviously included other churches' traditions, that would be well over half. But by 2019, that had halved to 23%. Um, uh, and in baptisms, uh, in 1980, uh, the stats show that one in three babies was baptised uh, by a Church of England vicar. And in 2019, that was down to one in 10. And in London, in particular, it was less than one in 30. Um, so I think we're seeing over the, the lifetimes of us three, at least, an enormous decline in, in British people wanting to kind of mark these life events in church. And my initial question is, does that matter? Wow, it's a really big question, isn't it? And and uh, it's interesting. We were just talking before we came on air about our own church backgrounds. Neither Megan or myself attend an Anglican church, although I did used to go to one as a child. Um, it was actually where I first went to church through brownies and and guides and church parade, incidentally. Um, and I must admit, over the years, I've been a little bit bar humbug, judgmental about this. And I, and I have on occasion sat at a, normally a friend's church wedding, moaning to my husband. I don't even know why they're doing this. I don't go to, God, to church. They don't believe in God. Like, why are, we, why are we going through all this? But you also do hear, and I've actually heard more of them recently, those stories about someone's faith journey beginning or being impacted 
by their choice to mark some of those occasions in church, even when they don't regularly attend. So, you know, um, for instance, I interviewed an actress last week, Adjoa um, Ando, who um, plays Lady Bridgerton, um, uh, Lady Danbury in Bridgerton. And she actually started going back to church when she had to start attending to get her kid into the local Church of England school, which is a slightly different subject. But she said to me, interestingly in that, she said that was the push I needed to start going back to church regularly after she'd slipped away like many of us do when we're teenagers. And she just said this beautiful phrase to me. She said, let's just give God the increase on that. And I, I actually personally felt really convicted by that statement. I thought, you know what, sometimes maybe we're just a bit too judgmental about it. Like whatever gets someone through the door, whatever opens up a conversation with a vicar, whatever, you know, maybe we should just trust God a little bit more with those moments and that he might use them in really, un- like really, really unexpected ways. So, yeah, I think as I get older, I'm, I'm getting less antsy about it and I'd like to be more... Um, <laughs> expectant that God will use those opportunities instead. Megan, where do you stand? I have really mixed feelings, a bit like Emma. Um, You know, I've also equally sat in weddings of friends who aren't Christians who are getting married in the church thinking, you know, what on earth's going on? This can't be right. Um, Equally, I've had conversations with with parents at, at the school who've talked about, you know, basically just doing the sitting in church, doing the requisite, you know, number of, um, services in order to get their children into the local faith school and you know you can't help but feel a bit cynical about those kinds of things and just feel like that you know the church is being made a mockery of a little bit when that sort of thing happens so I do have really mixed feelings about it I mean in terms of the figures I'm not surprised about the decline um you know we're looking at the overall trend of decline in faith anyway so it makes sense that people are choosing not to mark those big occasions in church that that just that just tallies with what we know of the census results um from earlier in the year in terms of you know the numbers of people who who tick the christian box um do i think it's a shame yes absolutely because it that it's symbolic of the the loss of christian faith in our in our in our country so I do think it's a shame. Um, but I certainly have mixed feelings about the use of the church um, for those moments that people like to mark in, in, a, in a kind of solemn way when they don't necessarily spend the rest of their lives with God in the, in the central place in their, in, in their world. Hmm. Some people, some Christians would say that we should celebrate this in a way because it really talk, is a kind of the the sign of the, the end of kind of nominal faith and that, you know, there's a kind of British person who historically would have, you know, been baptised or christened as a baby, turned up and got married in church and got, and been buried in church and never darkened the doors in between or paid any attention to God, but they would have thought in their heart, yeah, I'm a Christian because I've done those big life events, those big rituals in church. And actually, we would all say as evangelicals, there's a bit more to following Jesus than just turning up three times in your life. So is it maybe something we should be celebrating that that people are rightly recognising? If you don't buy into what God is saying, if you don't buy into what the church is proclaiming every Sunday, don't show up for these one-off occasions. I'm not sure I'd use the word celebrate. But um, yeah, I wouldn't use the word celebrate because I think, like I was saying before, it is it is symbolic of the wider 
sort of um, loss of faith in our society. And I, and I wouldn't, I don't think that's something to celebrate. But whether it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Bible talks about, Jesus talked about, you know, a grain of, of wheat falling to the ground and having to die before something else grows up. So in that sense, maybe it is, a, an, you know, maybe this is, is an inevitable part of that journey that something has to die, i.e. Nom- nominal Christianity, for something better to, to be born. Yeah, I think it's it's a difficult thing to sort of put in the right words, isn't it? I, I, I totally agree with where Megan's coming from. You don't want to celebrate less people wanting to go to church ever, for whatever reason, even if it is only three or four points in their life. Um, but I don't think anyone who um, takes their faith seriously also wants to be, to see people not properly understanding that Christian faith is more than just doing that so having a nominal faith or, or, or not kind of really understanding that there's something more to having a, a living relationship with Jesus I think is a it's a desperately sad thing and no one wants people to be sort of confused into, into thinking that is okay because because it's not but this but the the problem is with you know celebrating people choosing not to mark those occasions in church is you are I mean, maybe this could be one argument. Maybe other people think differently. You are losing those touch points, even if they're very, very few and far between, of having any opportunity to communicate the gospel, have a conversation about God, for someone to think about the thing, spiritual things that are outside of their everyday life, and and that you know may well contribute to sort of much lower levels of religious literacy in our society. You know, and. And where do we go from there when we have people who are not being raised in faith in their own households who, you know, now don't sort of get to sing hymns in assembly at school anymore, don't ever get read the Bible, never go to church, even for a wedding or a funeral. Where do they ever encounter God? How do we come back from that when, you know, there are so few opportunities? And those particular moments, you know, marriage, baptism, death are actually really rich with kind of gospel imagery and symbolism if you look at some of the liturgies that church traditions use you know these are ways to talk about god's love for us you know what happens after we die who jesus is why did he die like what does it mean to be a child of god these are are not just you know like a harvest service we get the kids in and talk about the the harvest and bring teens of tins of beans to the front these are like really really rich theologically kind of meaningful moments in people's lives and an opportunity like you said emma to to share something of the gospel from people who would otherwise never never pick up a Bible or um, or never attend a kind of evangelistic apologetics event. Yeah, and they do open up interesting conversations. I can remember when my own kids were born, um, the sort of group of mums that I met antenatal classes when when they got, you know, in that first year, I did attend a few christenings of, of friends um, who chose to have their babies christened in Anglican churches. Uh, they all knew that I was the Christian in the group that I went to church every week. But because I don't go to an Anglican church, I, I was right, I go to an evangelical church. We didn't choose to um, go through infant baptism with our children. We had a dedication service at church where we blessed them and prayed for them. Um, but that actually raised some really interesting questions with my friends when I attended their um, christenings or we were going as a group and they were like, you know, oh, you go to church, Emma, don't you? But you haven't had your kids christened. And, you know, you ha- we had those interesting conversations about why I'd chosen not to do that and what I believed about it and why they had. And it, like I said, it's, it's just one of those touch points where you get to talk about faith, maybe, 
when those conversations don't always come up every day. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Megan, you don't go to an Anglican church either. H- how do you feel kind of looking on at traditions like the C of E where they will, you know, baptise or marry anyone regardless of their faith status, regardless of what the kind of parents believe? Does that seem bizarre and strange to you or is there something precious about that? I mean, I I just wonder whether it's a bit of a lost opportunity. So, for example, you know, things like marriage preparation. Um, often I think that sadly involves just a kind of cup of tea with the vicar talk about the practicalities of the service and you kind of think actually that could be a really good opportunity if if the the church were to run something akin to the alpha course in those moments for people who didn't really have a faith but wanted to get married in the church so they they're warm to the to god they're warm to christianity and maybe their parents were um christians uh so they've got some kind of connection some kind of cultural connection which is making them want to to have their married to have their wedding in a blessed in a church um you know you kind of think well rather than having those very quick um discussions with the vicar that maybe don't maybe aren't particularly meaningful actually why don't we do that sort of marriage prep thoroughly and carefully um and who knows where that might lead that might actually lead to people really understanding that the significance of marriage and that picture of um jesus's love for the church which is you know what it's symbolic of who knows what that might lead to in terms of people giving their lives to Jesus and, you know, really taking faith on. So I'd, I would love the, I'd love to see the church grasping those opportunities more um, and using them for evangelistic purposes. But it can Rather work Rather than like just that. being I mean, used as a service, you know, because I think that's the, that's yeah. the other side of it. It, it can, it, the church can then be seen as just a, a service, um, that, pe- that can be Which abused you pay for. yeah that you pay for and that can be abused and that because you pay for some are prohibited from so I do have some ethical concerns with that <laughs> we had friends over for dinner a couple of weeks ago um our neighbor and they're not Christians and um he was telling us how he started telling us halfway through the the evening they've recently been away on a, a a lad's golfing weekend with some old friends and it turned out that one of his old friends had become a Christian and um, and he actually was telling our friend that the reason that he and his wife started going to church was exactly that through marriage prep for their wedding so they, they weren't raised in a religious household at all they, they went to the local church of England to get married there they had to go to have the bands read um, they went through a really good marriage prep course, really connected with the vicar. He said to them on the last Sunday that when they had to go, please don't be a stranger. Um, we'd love to see you back here again. And the long and short of it is that started a, a long relationship that led them both on a very long journey, actually, towards actually making a commitment and becoming Christians. So it can work really beautifully if it's done well. But I think, like Megan says, the maybe sometimes part of the problem is is it's so variable the commitment that you have to make in various churches and and maybe those opportunities are not always taken Mm. as well as they could and I think the cynicism can also come from the the church side so when I talk about cynicism I, I, I was talking about people thinking they can just use the church as a service but I think it can also happen the other way I think I you know I had a quick google to have a look at what are my local C of E charges for a wedding 
um, and it was between 600 and a thousand pounds and then they are booked up two years in advance I mean it is a beautiful church <laughs> I would I would if I was gonna if I was gonna do it again which I'm not um <laughs> I'd be right in there <laughs> Um, but you know, you kind of think, wow, okay, they're booked up two years in advance. This is a thousand pounds. Like this is a, this is quite the moneymaker for the church. You know, they're not going to be saying no anytime soon. Um, and actually I just wonder how much of that can also be the church just going, oh, okay, thanks very much. I'll take my thousand pounds. You know, I mean, think, think about how many times that's going to be replicated throughout the year and how much money can be made from weddings. And if it is simply seen as a tick box, okay, this is a, you know, this is some extra money for the, the, the roof fund then, um, and not seen as an opportunity to really, um, introduce people to Jesus, people who perhaps are just getting married there because it looks beautiful. Um, then it's a lost opportunity, I think. And not to drop you in it, Emma, I understand that you got married in a beautiful Anglican church that wasn't your own place of worship. <laughs> Do you want to talk us through that that situation, that decision? Yeah, I, I was, it was at the back of my mind when we were prepping for this, <laughs> not wishing to be hypocritical. So yeah, I, be, I became a Christian as a teenager, went to a an evangelical free church um, that met um, when I first started there in a village hall, later moved into an old disused Anglican church, but a very unattractive looking one, a post-war brick council estate church. Um, that I loved and um, but then interestingly when when I got engaged and we started talking about our wedding <laughs> we decided to get married in the Anglican church up the road but I guess I would like to caveat that by saying we chose the church where my parents got married where two of her siblings got married where all of my grandparents are buried and it, it um, is very much you know what what we would probably class as our family church and the vicar um, you know I'd known for a long time through church together and was really really open to sort of a, a kind of churches together type service so he obviously married us but um my church elder who actually led my dad to Christ preached my youth leaders did the music um, and it was a beautiful mix of Anglican and free traditions my husband was raised in a, in a very traditional rural Anglican church so for his family um at that point in time it was you know, it was also some, something that we thought about as how our families would feel comfortable as part of the service and how they could both, you know, both sort of feel represented and, and, and know what was going on. So for his family in particular, that was where they felt at home. So, yeah, it wasn't like just a kind of let's just choose the pretty church up the road, although that was a, a happy byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> But you raised something really important there, which is the idea of that, like churches are not don't just belong to those who actually attend on the Sunday, but they particularly churches that have been around in their communities for a long time become embedded into a into the kind of warp and weft of a place. And I, I remember speaking to some Anglican academics who were kind of bemoaning that what they saw as a kind of evangelical takeover of the C of E, which had reduced faith to simply, you know, the only people who count are those who are who actually believe and turn up on Sundays. And they said, actually, that if you look at the history of Anglicanism, it, it has a broader sense in which we are offering kind of this, this bridge between people and God to wherever you are in your journey. And that for a lot of people, that is going to be coming on Sunday, you know, reading your Bible every day, all that stuff. But there are other people who just aren't ready for that. And that, and that Anglicanism is a kind of soft way in 
and that there are people who say, you know, that is my church. I don't go every Sunday, but like the vicar knows me and uh, and they came and helped us when, you know, our kids were in hospital with some sickness or, you know, the church um, food bank has been really important when I was unemployed and I go there for like big life events and, and maybe there's something valuable in, in having that kind of soft in-between stage, which says, yeah, we'll marry you. Yeah, we'll baptize your children. We'll, we'll bury your grandparents. And if you ever want to go further, we're here on Sundays and on Tuesday prayer meetings and, and Friday youth group and whatever you want. But sometimes I, I think sometimes more evangelical churches say it's basically all or nothing. Yeah, I guess there is something, isn't there, in that sort of like that, that long... You know, tradition of being in one place of the church always being in there that generation upon generation upon generation and and feeling somehow connected to that and like you understand and you know a little bit of, of what's going on I think most people would probably say they felt more familiar and, and possibly comfortable with going into an Anglican service and and following along with it with the service and they might going into an evangelical church when they don't know when to sit and when to stand up and what's going on and who's speaking now and how do I join in with this but but equally you know the the sheer bent of the fact that we're talking about this today maybe proves that 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 is going to get less and less moving forward. There is less familiarity with any type of Christianity maybe now. And I don't know what, what, where that, what that's going to look like in 20 years time is, is sometimes feels a little bit frightening. One of the other things that was really interesting is that a lot of the stats um, show a massive decline in the last kind of 10 to 15 years in particular. And they have obviously, you know, the numbers of religious weddings and funerals and christenings have been sliding down as as over the last kind of 60 years as this country has become less religious. But there's been quite a sudden increase in, in you know, the, the basically in the new millennium. And, and I was spectating without any evidence because, you know, secularism was well underway in the 90s. And yet a significant numbers of people were still quite happy. And I think you can really see that these religious ceremonies decline as kind of humanist celebrants and, and that kind of thing became possible. Um, and I think there's a real maybe there's a, an additional story here. It's not just about people gradually falling out of love with kind of using religion to mark their life events, but actually they're saying, I have my own set of values and worldviews and it's not, I don't want nothing, but actually I want to have a wedding, which is, which reflects me and plays, you know, can choose my favorite poems and can have a celebrant who's one of my close friends who's gone, got some online course to become a humanist celebrant, whatever it is. And so maybe actually it speaks to something about the kind of, you know, the fact that the loss of religion has not been replaced by a kind of apathy and emptiness, but there are new worldviews, new values coming through, which are almost in a sense competing with with church values when it comes to, you know, arrival of new children or, or marriage or even the end of life as well. Yeah, I think we'd have to look at the stats on that. It'd be interesting to look at that because I, I, had, a, I had a quick Google to see if I could find that on the humanists because I wanted the same, Tim. Um, and the, the stats didn't seem massive, and neither are they massive for civil partnerships, um, which I thought was interesting as well. And uh, I mean, of course, we know that the the legislation for civil partnerships has only broadened fairly recently in 2019. So probably needs a bit of time to bed in and for us to see the results of that. Um, but I wonder whether it's actually more about the cost of some of these uh, celebrations. I mean, if we take weddings, for example, the cost of the average wedding is now £20,000. In London, it's £30,000. Yeah, so, you know, I, I wonder whether it might be something more to do with, with that. Um, 
the the uh, the marriage foundation did a bit of research into this and they looked at the numbers of they looked at the ch- children being born let me just find the exact figures because it's quite interesting yeah so they looked at um newborns born in 2021 and it said that 71% of parents from high income families were married compared to 34% in low income families and they've called this the marriage gap um, so I think that's really interesting. I think that is part of this conversation, because I think for a lot of people, £30,000 for a wedding is prohibitively expensive. You know, um, I mean, I know our wedding cost cost a huge amount of money. And we, you know, we were lucky enough to have help from, you know, both sets of parents, but n- not everyone has that. Um, and so marriage then becomes very difficult because they, you know, you feel like you want to have this big celebration. You want to, you know, to do what everyone else does, but you can't afford it. So I wonder, I just wonder what impact that, that has got, that has had on the numbers, particularly in a cost of living crisis. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure it will have played into it, but I mean, I guess the fact that these are percentages of total numbers of weddings, it does in part balance that out, doesn't it? Like if, if we now have only 15% of all weddings happening in religious settings compared to 18% in 2016 and 24% um, in 2005. Like that's, that's still a huge drop as a percentage. And I wouldn't have thought the cost of having it in a church was much different from having it in a non-religious setting i mean in some respects as especially from my you know the experience i've had of some um the swankiest weddings i've been to have been the ones that you know where your friend takes over a whole hotel resort for an entire weekend etc um non-religious weddings probably i don't know this is my guess maybe even more expensive well what quite crossed my mind when megan was talking there is there's actually for a bold denomination there's a huge opportunity here because imagine as a radical kind of prophetic act, you said, we're going to drop the cost of our weddings to zero pounds and say, we believe in marriage so much. We believe in this so much that we're going to make it available, accessible to everyone. And yeah, you're still going to have to pay for your suits and your dress and your honeymoon, but we can make the cost of the service and the venue completely free. We'll absorb that cost ourselves as a gift to you because we want to bring people back to start their married life together under the sight of God. That's well, a good that's, idea. That we should do that. I'm, I'm up for that, Tim. I think that'd be brilliant. Also, though, that does that does sort of slightly play into a, a, a slightly related question, which is the difference in how different Christian denominations can and can't marry people, because obviously vicars can by law. But, you know, my my denomination, for example, I get I attend an Assemblies of God Church. We don't do weddings in our building per se very often, except if it is for a member of our congregation, because it is a little bit more complicated if you're not a Anglican vicar or a Catholic priest, I'm assuming probably is the same. Um, so for our vicars, they have to, as well as being a reverend in our own denomination, have to obtain some sort of license and we have to get special permission and it costs more money and it's more hassle and blah, blah. So basically we don't do it. And if a member of our own congregation wants to get married in our church, they have to pay for a, um, uh, what's the word? Registrar. Registrar to come into the church to, to attend as well as having the vicar and everything else, which is interesting, I think. 
Very much so. And, and a real relic of Christendom, right? And this idea that particularly it started off with just Anglicans because, you know, back in the day, there was no distinction between a, a civil state wedding and a church wedding because everyone got married in churches. And then we obviously have gradually kind of invented and established the idea of like marriage in the government's eyes and marriage in God's eyes and just for a few select denominations get this kind of privilege of the two being the same. And, you know, as you say, like Anglican vicars and I think Catholic priests and a few other denominations are able to kind of act as registrars by default. Whereas everyone else, as you say, has to kind of, you know, I mean, I had friends who had, who went on like the Thursday before their Saturday wedding and to the town hall in their jeans, got the kind of legal wedding done and then just had a kind of blessing service of blessing, but with looked like a normal wedding with dress and rings and everything in their, their non-Anglican church. Um, and in their eyes, as Christians, they were like the legal preliminaries was just a kind of form filling. But the real our wedding began on the Saturday. But obviously, in the state's eyes, they were married on the Thursday. And and maybe that's better. Maybe we don't want to have this messy blend between the civil institution of marriage, which, as you know, we all know, with same sex weddings is now diverging even further from kind of traditional Christian understandings of marriage. And maybe it's healthier to say, there are two things here. There is marriage as the government sees it, which is done by kind of government officials in town halls or in hotels. And then there's marriage as God sees it, which is done by pastors and ministers. And if you want to be married in the eyes of both institutions, you have to do it twice. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I <laughs> would like to see us be able to do it once in a church and that'd be legal, but maybe like in a more uniform way across all denominations, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Megan, and thanks, Emma, uh, for your for your thoughts and discussion on that. That was really interesting. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to it as well. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, but until then, goodbye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 